0: going on guys welcome back to the Fieldcraft survival podcast this is your host for the ad space today austin and if this is your first time tuning in welcome to the Fieldcraft survival podcast i'm here to talk to you about the sponsors that make this content free for you guys to listen to and first up is our newest sponsor an old time friend black rifle coffee company guys black rifle is surging everywhere i mean if you haven't heard from them Uh, or heard of them, rather, uh, there's a chance you could be living under a rock. And if you are, that's okay. That's all right. That's why we're here to talk to you about them. Uh, Guys, if you're a coffee drinker, uh, like all of us in the office are, where you need that caffeine to get your day going, Black Rifle Coffee is the best coffee, period, point blank. I really don't even need to do any more of an advertisement than that. (laughs) It's literally the best coffee that there is. So, guys, head over to blackrifle.com pick up some coffee, or head into one of their local coffee shops. You won't be sorry, I promise you that. Next up is Casey Highlights. Good friends of ours over at Casey Highlights have taken care of us since day one. They have the best lights on the market. We're all familiar with the little smiley face light cover. Well, they've evolved since back in the day where they just did lights for trucks, and now they got lights for your motorcycle, your boat. Uh, your car, your truck, whatever it is you need. If you have a lighting need for your vehicle, um, ATV, whatever it is, they've got you covered. Um, again, the best lights on the market, honest to God. And use code FIELDCRAFT and it'll save you 10% at kchighlights.com. Next up is the range meal bar. Guys, uh, spending a lot of time in the backcountry uh, myself, um, just recreating, doing whatever. And I got to tell you, man, it's hard finding and you guys that do this know this, it's hard finding like snacks that make sense to carry in your pack, especially when you're going to be out all day because you don't want to bog down your pack with a bunch of weight, carrying a bunch of stuff that you don't really even need but you really need that nutrients while you're out there. Well, the range meal bar is it. 700 calories per bar and each bar is a little bigger than the deck of cards. There's no bullshit ingredients in there. You can actually pronounce all the names of the ingredients that are in there uh, they currently guarantee a six month shelf life, but are in the process of completing a study that would increase that shelf life to a year. Um, guys, it's high in fat. Uh, most of the other bars out there that you're going to get are high in carbs. Uh, that fat is, is much needed, so you have something to burn while you're out there getting after it in the backcountry. They're a small business out of southwestern Washington, so go support some small business. Use code FieldCraft. Save yourself 10% at RangemealBar.com.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and it has been a long time since I have done a podcast. I've been avoiding them, but hey, can't avoid them anymore. So with me today is Sean Kirkwood. Uh, when did we do a podcast? that
2: last year? Probably been last year. Yeah. Early, like,
1: early this year. Yeah, um, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it was podcast number 173 because I looked it up yep. the other day. And uh, we sat down in your garage. and High-end, high high-end yeah, production high end. in the so, Kirkwood garage. This is the first podcast in the new Fieldcraft Survival North Carolina facility. And uh, as we build out, we're not completely built out yet, but the priority was get the podcast up and running, uh, get the store out front, and get the uh, classroom. So we're getting there slowly. Um, Run into a couple of problems with the conference room, but we're we're working through it. It's gonna looks great. Looks great. By the way, you guys
2: have done a lot of good work. By you guys, I mean Tula. (laughs) It's mostly me. It's mostly me.
1: (laughs) Hey, I'm 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 uh, I'm the boss. So the boss's job is to take credit for everybody else's work. Right?
2: Supervision (laughs) is key. Supervision (laughs) is key. On the backs of the men. It is. That's the model. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. So, me and Sean have worked together uh, periodically over the years. Uh, when I got to sniper school as a minion, Sean was the NCIC, uh, or taking over as the NCIC. Yeah. And uh, Sean is a very organized guy, I would say, very good at. Uh, Running schools and Sean's a big whiteboard fan. Whiteboards and three ring binders would make everything better. (laughs) Everything. You actually made me a believer in the whiteboard. Like, guys. You could have world peace if there was enough whiteboards and people used them effectively. (laughs) The guys on my team would be like, if you could build your house out of whiteboards, you would. Absolutely. Absolutely. The greatest organizational tool ever known to man. would be like Valhalla. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you are actually still working for the government in uh, uh, instructor capacity yep. um, which we don't need to get into but uh, but you're going to do some stuff with us as well. you're going to help us out on a couple of courses which you've already done and uh, basically since we've we've talked a lot since I got back here to North Carolina and I, I, I think coming back here I knew that the, um, the market would kind of reveal itself. And, and I was hesitant because I was like, there's so many tactical companies and there's so many, but we're not a tactical company. No. We're not really. We have a, a wing and an aspect, but that's not what we're going to concentrate on here. I, I, I think um, the concentration here is preparedness for families, for civilians, for, and I I think you coined the phrase, real training for real people.
2: Right? Absolutely, real training for real people. Because yeah. there's a lot of training out there. People can go a lot mm-hmm. of different places. and. There's a market for everything, and it's 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 a business environment when you look at it. Is whatever kind of training you think you need, you ha- it should be available to you. And I mm-hmm. uh, I think you've you've done a good job with threading a needle out here in North Carolina with what the real need is because I think preparedness is a is a great umbrella. Yeah. So some of the things we're doing, like
1: honestly, not bashing anything else, but if you're running a gunning with a carbine on the range, that, that's great. But things have gone horribly wrong, right? Yeah. Um. What we've done so far, like we just did home defense, which is- Great uh, course. Yeah, simunitions, right? Simunitions are such a great tool. Simunitions are 9 millimeter Glock handguns, Glock 17 tangos. That shoot like a paint round but they function exactly like a handgun magazine loaded they 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 run like a handgun they malfunction like a handgun sometimes you reload them the same and it, it gives you it gives especially people who are not used to firearms and not really comfortable with firearm it gives them a, the ability to ramp training up very safely right uh in a safe environment so we did we did the home defense on saturday we talked castle doctrine we talked the rules
2: we talked um extremely important castle doctrine and and the the laws in your state Mm -hmm. you know everybody can everybody (laughs) wants to protect themselves with a firearm and protect their family and be prepared but i mean once things go the way nobody ever wants them to go you got to understand the law because like that's until it's investigated that's a crime yeah not saying you're guilty of anything but the police investigate that like a crime and you have to be aware of mm-hmm. what your rights are, what you're allowed to do, and what you're not allowed to do. Just because mm-hmm. you have a concealed carry permit, there's a lot of things you can't do with, nor should you, because yeah. there's a lot of responsibility comes with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people, not on purpose, I just think people think that they get their certificate, they throw it in their wallet, they get a gun, and they put it on their hip, or they put it in their car, and they, a lot of people, to include me at times, and, and lots of people that have concealed carry, they they kind of zone out at that point, and they mm-hmm. don't really ever progress their training to situational training or sims training or or anything that makes them better other than going out to the range and dumping, you know, 50 rounds into a target and saying, okay, I went to the range and shot today. Yeah. Which yeah. is, it's very important to get on the range, but there's a, everything before you fire that weapon. That's where, that's where the training needs to happen. Yeah.
1: And, I, and a little bit afterwards, right? Knowing what to do when the cops show up and, and knowing not becoming... Like when, when the when the police show up, they, you can't assume they know what happened, right? I'm the homeowner and I shot an intruder. Great. The cops are there to stop the killing, stop the dying, right? You have and to they, assume that they don't. Yeah. You have to assume that even if you told the 911 dispatch that I'm wearing a white shirt, yeah. I'm the homeowner, blah, blah, blah. They're coming up. They've been told there's a shooting and they roll up and you're standing over somebody with a firearm. They don't know if you're the bad guy or not. So they're yeah. going to give you a command. And if you don't follow that command very, very quickly, you run the risk of getting shot. And you have to see it from their point of view. So we had a very in-depth conversation about the law, about Castle Doctrine, and about hostile intent and imminent threat, right? Because you don't, in a split second, have time to analyze, right? You should know the law and you should know what you are, are and not allowed to do. But in a split second, you have to be able to analyze hostile intent. And, and act accordingly, right? Absolutely. Um, having grown up in a country where you couldn't have firearms, right? You could have like, we had a shotgun for hunting. We had like a 22, I think I had, but you couldn't carry a, a handgun and still can't uh, to protect your life. It, it's a phenomenal right and, and I highly encourage people to get a, a concealed carry permit, but you you got to have that next level of training, right? Yeah. Concealed carry class, I think you shoot 50 rounds, you do all the legalities and you get a piece of paper in your wallet. So, um, Analyzing the law and then having that conversation with yourself and with your family about how things will progress when something happens
2: is is, is huge. Yeah, family security plan is something else we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. I've been t- I talked to you about it before, is, and and having a family security plan is key. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not the only one involved in that situation. You got to prepare your family once again. Back to preparedness. Yeah, and you know, we the in the United States, like you were saying, in Ireland, growing up, you didn't have a lot of there wasn't a gun culture. You know, where there is a gun culture in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. A lot of mm-hmm. people would argue different. But in my opinion, the gun culture, what we need to kind of morph that into is a training culture. Yeah. Like I have a piece of equipment in my hand. I have a tool that I need to use for certain environments and I need to get trained on it. Mm-hmm. Just like if I bought a hang glider, I'm not just going to go jumping off the nearest cliff. I'm going to get trained on it because it's dangerous. Yeah. So I need to do that with a firearm. And I think a lot of people they need to change their perception of just having a weapon in my hand does not make me an effective, effective in defending my family or defending myself, or even being a responsible citizen and being within the law. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. you need to look at it like that if you own a firearm.
1: Yeah. I, and, you know, like uh, live fire, live fire firearm, shooting on the range has its place, but also simunitions and airsoft and scenario-based training also has a place. I'm... We did them all in the military, right? And they yeah. all they all kind of sync together. And so for home defense, we did we did castle doctrine and the law. We talked about different weapon systems and the pros and cons. We talked about flashlights, talked about security cameras, and then we basically taught people how to clear rooms. Now, now it's not CQB, but we're like, oh, CQB, CQB is speed, surprise, and violence of action. It's a yeah. military offensive. Um,
2: it's a mindset. Yeah, CQB is.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and it, it, we don't we don't do that here. We teach nope. civilians how to you know g- clear angles and and be smart. Now, obviously, if somebody breaks into your house, the smart way to do it is to lock down an avenue of approach, Um, secure your kids, and call the cops and let them deal with it. But if your kids are in another part of the house, you split level house or whatever, then you as a parent have to go maneuver and 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 secure those kids right. And that's all we were teaching, and. Uh, it, it, it was eye-opening for a lot of people uh, to see uh, very
2: basic rules and very
1: basic procedures just to be smart,
2: right? Yeah, but um, it allowed the sims, a lot of them, they relax enough to be in an unknown environment because how many people, you know, run around clearing their house? Not mm-hmm. many, yeah. you know? I mean, us crazy people do a lot of times or out there practicing, but the people that were in that course, they saw a new, a new aspect. that kind of opened up their vision a little bit mm-hmm. about the problems that they were going to come into. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're going to you know, yell, I have a gun and wave it around and that's going to solve the problem. But you got to have some basic tactics. And like you said, it's, it's, it's a, it, it is a basic skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a basic skill that can go a skill that can, you could take to a very high end level, like some of the military units, but there's still some basic fundamentals that will keep you safe and allow you to allow you to effectively protect your family. That that's what I think was great about that course. Mm-hmm. It, it, it opened up a lot of people's minds on, uh, what they should be looking at and how they should be training.
1: Yeah, what we did with Sims we would never do with live firearms. We, no. we just
2: wouldn't, right? Um <laughs> And I don't think the training would be as good. No. Even if we wanted to. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think if we had live bullets in those guns, uh I don't think the people would have been pushing their envelope as much as yeah. they did. They'd be because so it's nervous sick, they'd be nervous.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and your uh you know, your your angles and your facilities are, are restricted and all that. So um Look, look for that course probably once a month, I I, I think, unless the, the, the market opens up more, but I, I think it's a great course for people that, uh, like two of the females reached back out to me and said that, uh, not that females are, but there's a lot of females who are not comfortable with guns. A lot of them have concealed carry permits, a lot of them have firearms and been around firearms, but they just don't put enough rounds down range to, to be really comfortable. But two of them reached out and said, it was great to be able, I'm not comfortable with guns. I haven't used guns much, but to be able to run, to maneuver through the house and fire, it gave me a lot of confidence that I could do that now um, with a live firearm. So that's yeah. great. So um, there's that. There's also, uh, we're looking at putting on concealed carry one and concealed carry two. Concealed carry one gets you a piece of paper. Concealed carry two gets you a capability, right? Absolutely. Concealed carry one is... Your, your 50 rounds in the range, all your legalities to get you that piece of paper to carry a handgun. And that's some people, that's all they want, right? Conceal carry two is all scenario-based, shooting out of cars, shooting buildings. Uh, we have a bus we can use, uh, you know, blower suits, creating space, airsoft guns, uh, very scenario-based training um, to kind of bring it to the next level. But all simulations and airsoft, no life fire.
2: Yeah, you're allowed to do get immersed in a, in a scenario a lot better and and make real decisions because just because you got you have an airsoft gun in your hand, if you put people in the right situation, that adrenaline's going to kick up. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to be breathing heavy. There's a little bit of stress there because it's an unknown and they have to react. Yeah, a lot different than just standing on a flat range and shooting it pistol really at is. targets.
1: And then if you react too quickly. <clears throat> Then you might make it worse, right? if if and I always use the the analogy, like you're standing at a you know pumping gas really late at night and somebody walks up towards you. If you reach out and pull a gun, well, maybe that guy was coming up to to tell you that pump doesn't work, right? Now, if I'm walking towards somebody and they pull a gun on me, then I'm reaching for my gun. And now we've escalated something that did not need to be escalated. So you have to kind of kind of game that too. There's other procedures that you can use to uh, you know kind of get ahead of the curve. But not, you know, make things
2: worse. Yeah. You know, being able to tra- to fail in a training environment is what you want. Yeah, because you learn. More, I learn more from failure. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. there's some people that have a different idea about how people learn. And but me personally, the more failure you have, the more you learn from it. If you mm-hmm. want to, yeah. You know, failure is an opportunity for you to learn and not mm-hmm. repeat it. And I think if you could put people in that situation where they make mistakes and then you talk through them and they get to do it again and again mm-hmm. and again they're going to learn that way. Not, let me show you how good I can do this, and then you're going to fumble through it, and then we're going to move on to the next subject.
1: Yeah, yeah. The... yeah, there are schools in the military like that. that if Most you, of them. <laughs> yes, yes. If you make a mistake, then they kick you out, right? I mean, yeah. you're there to learn. If you already yeah. knew everything, then you didn't need to go to school. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, we've been through that. It's yeah. a sniper course. We have. The their, yeah. Their
2: yeah. Restrictions were so harsh that guys, people weren't doing things that we would want them to do in combat because they didn't want to get kicked out of the course yep. and yelled at by their company sergeant major. Yeah. And it yep. was, I and mean, luckily we had the right mindset where we changed that. Mm-hmm. You want,
1: you want in training, you want people to make mistakes, leaning forward and not leaning back.
2: Absolutely. Right?
1: Um, so that, that, really looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a great course. I uh, had a medical course here on Sunday, uh, 22 students. Uh, it's funny because <laughs> the uh, Stevie was my medic. And uh, <laughs> yeah. 18 Delta, man, trauma. Those guys are... For people who don't understand, Like the 18 Delta course is the gold standard of medical training in the military. Like all the... It's run here on Bragg, but it, like SEALs go to it, Air Force go to it. Like it really is. And and those guys were extremely well trained. But they're trauma guys, right? So, and I love Stevie, man. He's awesome and he's an awesome medic. But I I, I have to talk to him about, you know, uh, okay, this is for civilians. But let's let's ramp it down, Let's, let's ramp it down a little bit. Like I walked in and he had, he had, he had a big picture up of a guy who had an ID and yeah. he had two tourniquets on. And his point was like, They're they're working on other parts of them while the tourniquets are on doing their job, right? Yeah, trauma management. He had two bloody stumps, and I was like, okay. And then, you know, (laughs) he was like, uh, you know, and remember in the military, like, in the infantry, they told you, put a tourniquet on two inches above the wound, right? Well. 18 Delta's put her on as high as possible because yeah. they don't know where the exit is. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I I I was in and out all day, you know, and uh, I walked in and Stevie's like, Yeah, we put the tourniquet on as high as possible because he might get shot again while you're working on him. I'm like, <laughs> That's a bad scenario for yeah. a civilian, right? So, um, absolutely great training. Uh, like, uh, I was just talking to a wildlife conservation officer an hour ago here. He came by and I was asking him about hunting accidents and stuff. And I think it was last year, like, uh, a kid accidentally shot his dad in the leg with a yeah. shotgun. Dad bled out. It yeah, died. A, a tourniquet would have saved his
2: life right yeah. there. Oh yeah, you know,
1: just a, a simple, simple tool that you just put it on and it buys you time to yeah. get to to facility. So
2: I had a friend of mine. I got killed that way when I was a kid. Really went out hunting with a friend of his, yeah. and uh, they, you know, firearm safety. Yeah, got stuck in a creek. The other friend, like, I had a twenty-two rifle. Yeah held it out to him for him to grab and pull oh. him out of the creek, shot him right in the neck. Killed My him.
1: grandfather was killed in a hunting. I never uh-huh. knew him, but as my mom's dad, uh, shot in the head by a, a hunter with a 22. Man, he stuck him for a rabbit. How do you mistake a grown man for a rabbit? Yeah, I don't know. It's- so there are a lot of accidents. Um, number one hunting accident in North Carolina. What is it? Guess. People falling out of tree stands. (laughs) What? I am not kidding. We should ban tree stands. We should. Yeah, It's dangerous, right? But, uh, you know, I got to die someday, but uh, if I die, falling out of a tree stand. That's bad. Oh my God. Yeah. I could see that though, because that's something you don't think about. You're in a hurry, you get up there, it's dark, you fall asleep, I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't
2: don't hunt really
1: that much. My ADHD would never allow me to sit (laughs) in a tree stand for more than like five minutes. Um, So yeah, um, medical training. Of all the skill sets you need, yeah, Let's be honest, medical training is the, like if you're naked and afraid rubbing sticks together trying to make a fire in the wood line, you've made a whole lot of bad mistakes up yeah, to that yeah, point, right? You got
2: like a second job making bad decisions <laughs> if
1: that's the case.
0: <laughs>
2: medical training,
0: man, you need Can always it. use. Guys, we're gonna end up the podcast for just a second and talk to you about our sponsor, Hoist Hydration. Hoist is the solution that you've been waiting for to keep yourself hydrated while you're out doing whatever it is that you do. It's one of three electrolyte hydration drinks that's approved by the Department of Defense. Guys, that's a big, bold statement right there. It has to go through some significant testing to actually prove that it does what they say that it does. And it actually is clinically proven to keep you 110% better hydrated and to keep you hydrated longer than just water alone. Compared to the traditional soft drinks, Hoist has half the sugar, twice the electrolytes, no artificial sweeteners, preservatives, or dyes, and it's made right here in the USA. It's formulated to be absorbed instantly, replenishing and hydrating your body with electrolytes, carbohydrates, and fluids that you need without delay. Guys, head over to drinkhoist.com, use code FIELDCRAFT10. It'll save you 10% on your purchase at Hoist
1: we are doing a soft prep course um people have done soft prep courses before and it's all log pt and, and photo cakes and hosing you down mm-hmm. and that's great i'm not doing that i don't have the energy i don't have the support mechanism i'm, I'm gonna make it a very um mentor kind of Education. educational right so i have a, I had a conference call last night i have a a THOR 3, which is the strength and conditioning coaches that they have in special operations. I have a guy that worked at the third group for years. He's going to come in and do a block on strength and conditioning. I have a dietitian who worked the third group. I have a physical therapist who worked the third group who, like, she can come in and go, okay, these are the top 10 injuries I've seen in, in SOF for the last, for the eight years I worked at the third group, right? Rebuilding broken guys, right? Yeah. And here's how you prevent them, right? Injury prevention, strength and conditioning, mental performance, diet, uh, gonna do a ton of land nav, military land nav. Um, gonna have the former regiment CSM come in and talk to them. Um, a bunch of stuff like that. Very educational and very uh, designed to give you the tools you need to to help you move forward with yeah. your career. Um, I think that's
2: that's super important because like me and you came in. I came in the army in 1987, so mm-hmm. uh, we didn't. They didn't look at soldiers like athletes. No, especially mm-hmm. the combat arms type soldiers. And a lot of units do. Some of the higher end units they have for years, and they they have staffs. that, you know obviously they have money, but they they look at nutrition and exercise yeah. and little things. You know when I came in, it was push up, sit up, run yep. five days yep. a week. Falling. And the only day off was a twelve hour, a twelve mile road march, yeah, and yeah, that, that was your yeah. day off and not running. And we didn't even care about it. If you went yeah. to sick call, you were like ostracized for injuries. Yeah. You know and yeah. I'm glad the army is finally moving toward treat these people like athletes. They Mm -hmm. got to develop a lifestyle. We expect them to be high performers. You know, Mm -hmm. you're at eight thousand foot altitude, and all you've been doing is push up, sit up, and run. Mm -hmm. You're not prepared for that kind of environment. Yeah, and I think it's good that the 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 special operations, but I think the big army as a whole, from what I've heard, is moving in that direction. They're taking the
1: Thor three model and kind of moving it right. Um, So it's funny because I was talking to uh, the I'd like a. Conference call last night with those three: the, yeah. the dietitian, the strength and conditioning, and the uh, physical therapist, and the the guy uh, Justin that was the strength and conditioning guy. He was like, "Is this? Uh, are we concentrating only on selection?" or long-term. I'm like, I, I think we concentrate on selection heavily, but I'd like to have a conversation about the long-term sustainable um, model because you come in the military at 20 and you come out at 40, you're a young man. you know. I know when you're 20, 40 seems old, yeah, but when you're in your not, 50s, it's not. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be broken. <clears throat> you're a young man. You don't want to be, be uh, have all these injuries. And then I think the other piece is, he asked me if I was going to run this regularly. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but Um, I think that model translates to civilians, right? Strength and conditioning, injury prevention, and diet are not military models. No. And they're not athlete models. I think too many of these mental performance and um, physical performance coaches, they they concentrate on athletes or military, whereas Mm. everybody needs it. Yeah there's so many things that's
2: like anything else you tailor it to what your need is yeah. you know like mm-hmm. if i don't play games on my computer i don't need a gaming computer but mm-hmm. there are people who do yeah so you, you could tailor it down to where elements of it yeah will will help you out in your daily life whatever that might be whatever yeah. that looks like for you mm-hmm. It'll, it it translates across that way you don't go break yourself doing crossfit day one or something yeah. like that yeah. you know yeah
1: exactly yeah um the, uh, so, uh, what else? What's the other things we're doing here? Land navigation's always a popular one. Um,
2: the. Uh, got the pistol carbine coming up. Pistol carbine coming in up. September. Yeah,
1: we'll see. I got a long gun course coming up. Yeah. Uh, first day will be here, and then the second day will be out of Coleman's Creek, which is a phenomenal yeah facility. So, a lot of cool stuff going. We're trying to figure out the market and kind of navigate through. <clears> but, uh, yeah, do some podcasts too. First podcast, new studio.
2: Congratulations. Boom.
1: Case of beer. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about Afghanistan real quick. All right.
2: Without getting super negative. Yeah, yeah. That's tough to do right now, but it yeah. It is.
1: It's it's uh people have asked me about it and I avoid talking about it because it makes me upset. Um I, I actually agree with us leaving Afghanistan. I, I don't think that there's a long-term sustainable model there, but not like this. No. Not like this. This is you you negotiate from a position of strength. And you withdraw with some dignity, and you don't leave people behind, and you don't you don't screw over the partner force you've been working with for years. But but to think that the Afghan army were going to stand up to the Taliban was either super naive or you just didn't care because the U.S. military couldn't beat the Taliban with all their allies and all the yeah. firepower and all. That. To think the Afghan army were going to do it was ridiculous. Um,
2: well, I think that just comes from. I think there was clear assessment on the realities yeah. at the ground level. Yeah. But you know when politics start bleeding into the military, as far as you know, painting rosy pictures on things and not mm-hmm. not looking at hard, cold hard truth a lot of times and making decisions based off of that, like good leaders should. Um, I, I, I think uh, that colored the opinion at higher levels about decision making because they yeah. weren't they weren't getting the good input that they needed. Yeah, I. I um
1: I went to Afghanistan very early on. 04 was my first trip in Afghanistan. I landed in uh, Kandahar. And I was getting a flight up to Bargram And I was waiting on a a bird to take me up to Bargham to go into infill with my my team who were living in rugged conditions, living out of trucks for weeks at a time. It was a great trip. Like, it was very, very soft-oriented. But I remember... uh, being in Candahorn, I could hear music playing very, very loud. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I walked over to the fence line, and across the street from where the, the soft base was at the time, there was an army post there, and they were having a beach party, right? Mm-hmm. They had sand laid out. They had a volleyball net, and they were playing volleyball, right? And it reminded me of uh, Apocalypse Now, where they had the, the bunny girls in, yeah. in and, and all that. And he, you know, the guy, Martin Sheen played, whatever his name was, he was like, The more they, I think he said, the more they made it kind of feel or look like home, the more they made people uh, miss it. Yeah. And then he said, uh, Charlie didn't get much USO. A little little rat meat is all he needed because he was dug in too deep and moving too fast, right? He was fighting a war. He was fighting a war. So I think, I I think I was a little shocked by that because as far as I was concerned, I was going to combat. Yeah. I was going to to war, right? But when I got there, I, I just... It felt like the focus wasn't there, even that early on. That was very early on in the war. And uh, at that time, like I work with militia. I, I recruit militia. They had no uniforms. They had no vehicles. Um, the Afghan army wasn't even stood up at that point, mm-hmm. right? It was getting there. Um, we were on a fire base and the other team uh, that was with us were working with the Afghan army. We were working with a militia force. And uh, so it, it felt like the focus was never there, right? It was... It was a soft war, but the whole army wanted to play it because there was there yeah. had been nothing for a very long time and they all
2: wanted in on it, right? Yeah, see, now I think warfare is a, uh, you know, being at war is kind of a norm. Everybody looks at it, even in the military. You know, there was the day, like, when I came in, there was, nobody had been to combat. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my first platoon sergeant was a Vietnam vet and there was yeah. one Grenada veteran uh, in my company or something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't like a really it wasn't an experience that was concrete for anybody, but a few select people. Yeah. And if you fast forward to now, it's like combat troops being in combat is kind of a normal thing now. Mm-hmm. But if you remember back to, you know, September 11th and, and all the way up to about four 05, I think it was still kind of a new and different mm-hmm. thing that people weren't really grabbing their minds around. And then I think once the, at first it was a soft thing and it was going to be special operations focused because it was working. Mm-hmm. And then I just think mission creep happened and, and and mm-hmm. I, I can understand it, but I think that's why you put adults in charge. Sometimes is they have to say, "Look, this isn't our fight. Mm-hmm. This isn't our lane." Or the strategy needed to stay to be different. Now that's way higher at my, than my yeah. level. I'm I'm a I'm a low level guy, but I think. Eventually, it just creeped into, now we got armored brigades deploying mm-hmm. to Afghanistan.
1: And like every vehicle you put in country is a big, massive support package to that, right? Yeah. So every one person who fights, there's 10 people there to yeah. support the person who fights, right? Um, it, it, it felt like it was a, an unconventional war. Like to, to fight a guerrilla fighter, you have to become a guerrilla fighter, yeah, right? And, and it was an unconventional war being fought by conventional troops. And the Russians learned that.
2: Non-conventional the, timelines, yeah, with conventional metrics to to uh, Expec- define victory and failure. Mm, and, and Victory is planting a flag on a hill. Yep, this con- war isn't about planting a flag on a hill.
1: Conventional uh, um, expectations, right, yeah. of what right looks like. The, the Taliban were fighting in terms of decades, and we were in terms of years sure. or, or months. Sometimes it, it just it's easy to sit back and quarterback. And and this war is going to be analyzed for for freaking centuries probably to sure. come. Um, but I just feel like the mindset was never there to to bring the fight to the enemy, right? And then no. as
2: as I, I admitted, think early on it was, it was like for yeah. the first couple mm-hmm. years. But yeah. eventually, you're right. It, I mean, it's it eroded pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, the rules of engagement got
1: so strict at one point, like uh, troops couldn't even return fire. Like, yeah. like if if they were fired at from a structure, even if it was a, a burnt out derelict yeah. structure that nobody lived in for years, they, they were taking fire. They they weren't allowed to return fire. You can't fight a war like that. No. you
2: just can't. No. So because the enemy exploits it, they, they know do. It's, that's a weakness to them. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. In the country yep. we live in, it's looked at as a strength, restraints a strength. Yeah. And in a country like that, they they look at it as weakness and they find a way to exploit it. That's they just do. how it works.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's people like the Taliban are very good at analyzing weak leadership, right? They they look at Biden and they're like, okay, um, if they if we had a strong leader in there, they wouldn't want to push too hard as we withdraw because they want us to leave, right? They wouldn't be like, okay, let's keep let's surround the airport and block off all the Americans. They'd be like, let's let them leave because we want them to leave. But they know that the current administration is not going to do anything. Yeah. It's, it's weak, and they spotted a mile away.
2: Yeah. anyway. And you know, honestly, you know, it, it, it goes. It's Party agnostic, you know. Honestly, I don't care if it's Democrat, Republican. Yep. Weak leadership is weak leadership. It is, and this and mm-hmm. if this was a, a Republican president, guys like me and you would be saying the same Absolutely. thing. It's a wrong way to do business, mm-hmm. and I I don't care who it is. But mm-hmm. you are paid to make high level decisions like yeah. this, and you have yeah. high level people that are advising you. Yep. And what I hate, nobody's getting fired. No. Who's going to get fired no. for this? Mm-hmm. And At, I blame the military leadership. I blame yeah. the senior military Millie, leadership. Millie they should, workless. they should yep. get fired. Yep. I mean, your job as as a, as a general or as as a high ranking military person, admiral, is to if you get assigned to fight a war, mm-hmm. you need to win it, mm-hmm. or you need to do your best to win it. And I think uh, in today's society and and what I've seen over twenty five years in the army and you know twelve more years serving in the mm-hmm. government positions is, my opinion is, uh, generals have started to become. More politicians and that's politicians all want to be generals. Yeah. And that, that gray area right there is you can't tell one from the other at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, General Patton would have been kicked out of the army as a captain. He would have. Absolutely. You know, he and would have, and, and yeah. that's unfortunate because that's, you cannot win, fight and win the nation's wars uh, with that kind of policy coming down. Yeah.
1: The, the, like the military should be fired. The, the, uh, the SECDEF should be fired. You're a general. You study for years and years yeah. and years. The military spent millions of dollars training those generals yeah. to f- to be able to do a retrograde operation. And, a, yeah. and
2: like it, it's not. There's probably even a manual out there. I'm how sure to do there it. is. It's well, so. It's this simple too. You you break it down to like. A, a linear danger area. So, you, you know, patrolling. Mm-hmm. A linear danger is like a road or a stream or a river. Anywhere that the enemy can get eyes on you and that you're not in a secure position because you got to get across it and it's an open space, mm-hmm. basically. What's the first thing you do at a linear danger area? You put your security out. What's yep. the last thing you take away? Security. Your security. Mm-hmm. Put your security, left and right security out. You cross everybody. pull your left and right security in. Yeah. Right now, we're pulling our security in. And we're yeah. putting the whole element on an airfield, mm-hmm. getting rid of them, and then oh, by the way, the civilians are going to come and evacuate now because we got to leave. And yeah, it's just it's horrible. It, it's it, not a good model to, no. to it, It's bad. Yeah, it, it's not the right but, way. You to know, do
1: it's it's. And I try not to think of it in these terms because it, it's the world we live in. But you know, for for people out there and veterans out there who put people in body bags and saw. Their own people die. It just all feels like it was for nothing. I, yeah, I, I, and it's hard to yeah. think of it in those terms, and uh, it, it just anyway it, it upsets me to think about it.
2: But. Yeah, and I never really like connected too much. Like I always heard about Vietnam vets, where you know, and it's not comparing the two, but it was it was hard. It's hard for you to get in somebody else's head that was a different generation fighting mm-hmm. a different war. You can you think you know yeah. But I'm like you, this is kind of affecting me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought I think about it a lot and I can only imagine what the you know, in nineteen seventy-five, the guy sitting in his living room that did five tours in Vietnam. Yeah. And he's watching, you know, a helicopter taking people off the embassy mm-hmm. in Saigon.
1: And the and the NBA rolling in an armor uh, yeah. into Saigon. Knowing you know? that he
2: went over there and he and he gave every pound that he could, ever he did everything that he could yeah. and it did his part, did yeah. their part. And at the end of it, you're sitting there and you're just looking. And you're like, I, I really yeah. don't know why.
1: I, I'm interviewing a Vietnam veteran on Friday. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask him if if he if he kind of compares, you know. And then you know, the other part that that burns my ass is that when I, when I uh, when I left group, I had an Opscore helmet, which is a soft issued helmet, and it wasn't on the books. I wasn't signed for it, but I was like, what am I gonna do with this? Let me give it back because there's guys waiting on these helmets. And I was like, "Hey, this is not on the books, but I'm going to give it back." And the guy in, in the the group issue point was like, "Oh, I really appreciate that. You know, most people wouldn't do that, you know." And then he he looks through my records and he's like, "Oh, you're missing your mount. Four hundred bucks." <laughs> <laughs> Just gave you. A I was like, what? "What?" So anything you lose in the military or oh, yeah. misplaced, you will pay for. But it's okay to leave billions of dollars yeah. worth of helicopters yeah, yeah. and armor. Don't and worry got about got them. It, MRAPs anything. that are sitting over there. Oh God. Anyway, yeah. moving on. That's that's a good segue into leadership, Sean. Hey. So on the remember what day it is uh 9 September 9th of September Sean's going to do a leadership webinar so you mm-hmm. could sign up on the uh, Fieldcraft survival page it's 25 bucks i think and you're going to break down leadership um kind of in it, you know we <clears throat> we had talked about where we'd focus this and we're focusing it at the uh what we would call the tactical level of leadership yeah,
2: direct leadership direct, is direct leadership it, kind of. right
1: so if you're a manager with 10 20 40 people under you that's kind of where we're focusing it right yeah. and it, it's kind of uh the military is very good at training leaders it, it's it's yeah. especially the army it's like from the time you're an e5 right you're're you're, you're being trained as a leader all the way up through the ranks and and you you learn as you go and you make mistakes and you uh, you take uh, lessons learned from good leaders, and you take lessons learned from bad leaders, and you apply them all. Um, so, so let's talk about how that's going to go. I know you've been probably planning it in your head. Yeah, to, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm
2: planning, it. I'm planning it and thinking through it. But at the end of the day, what I wanted to really do was break down leadership and, and kind of how I see it. Now this isn't strategic level or. You know i i know who i am i was a master sergeant retired i you know the most people i was ever in charge of was about 100 people and mm-hmm. a lot of you know different situations but I've, I've been a leader in the military at some level uh for i was when i was 19 that uh, is when i got my first leadership position mm-hmm. in the army of three people fire team leader mm-hmm. so i developed a lot of skills over the years of leadership i saw a lot of things that worked and what didn't and in an hour is not a long, you know. Uh, leadership's a huge topic. Mm-hmm. Huge. There's whole schools built around leadership. You, you could you could give classes for months. I really wanted to boil it down a lot, like uh, what Mike did with uh, pillars of preparedness. I, I figured there's you know there's got to be a pillars of leadership type thing, and it's really mm-hmm. just coming up with some fundamentals that you can think about. It's not overcomplicated, and honestly, it's it's not rocket science. It, mm-hmm. It's just some things that I see that make good leaders, and. uh things that you could pattern yourself after. If you haven't had any formal leadership training, if you really don't know exactly what leadership needs to look like, I wanted to give you some ideas and some paths to look at, some things to think about. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a human dynamic. You got you to figure that out. You, you can't lead everybody the same. Little, little things that I've picked up over the years that I think can help that supervisor that is maybe a newly uh, promoted supervisor that's in charge of 20 people that not really sure what path what kind of leader they need to be or even how to develop themselves and mm-hmm. like and like you said the military gives us a good model mm-hmm. and it shows us the good and the bad and mm-hmm. you know I learned a lot uh, I learned a lot from bad leaders
1: yeah and I remember you telling me like your first team sergeant he had no Lasers or optics on the guns. He had them all laid out with yeah. like tags on them yeah. and stuff. Like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I roll in his 18 Bravo and I'm like, hey, well, let me go down in arms and mm-hmm. check the guns out. And they're all like slick, like they just came off the assembly line. And I mm-hmm. was like, where's all our optics and sights? Ooh. Oh, they're in this cabinet. And, yeah. they all, and they all had little like label maker. To, he says, that's <laughs> so they're easy to inventory. <laughs> I'm like, do we ever go to the range? And the guys are like, yeah, not really. He's not really into, into, yeah. into going to the range. Yeah. Oh, and I was yeah. like, man, what are we doing? Of course, this was, you know, the September 10th Army. Yes. Know, me and you talk about September 10th yeah. Army, like days yeah. before September mm-hmm. 10th. And mm-hmm. I was just like, wow. This, it, you know. The thing
1: about leadership in SF is... Uh, you're dealing with a lot of A-type personalities, you know, especially as a team <laughs> sergeant. But then I remember somebody saying to me, oh, when I was a team sergeant, it was it was hard dealing with all those t- personalities. I was like, I don't want to hear it. When I was running force mod, I had a team full of team sergeants. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <That's>
2: true. All these A's working yeah.
1: for me, man. Who can be
2: assholes, oh, yeah. you know? It but was it, challenging, but I really liked it. I liked it too. I liked that because I was a leader in the infantry too. I spent, yeah. I spent a lot of time in the infantry and I, I made it all the way up platoon sergeant in the infantry yeah. uh, when I went to SF I was a platoon an E6 platoon sergeant in the 82nd mm-hmm. airborne and uh, but that leadership is basically like you know paper rock rank I mm-hmm. outrank you Yeah, do what I tell I, you and, I don't care how dumb it is well you can be tough without being an asshole you can and you can be empathetic
1: without being a pushover exactly you know what I mean yeah. uh, there's but I, I, I and that's think, that technique that it you is. You got to learn. You got to win. Because you get guys who are just an asshole to be yeah. an asshole, and they're wrong as
2: hell, right? Yeah. Um, well, Corporal Kirkwood in 82nd Airborne was an asshole, <laughs> a complete asshole. Anybody that was around Corporal Kirkwood yeah, in, in, yeah. In, in, in about 1991, I apologize now. <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. Well, you, were, you,
0: you thought that was <laughs> how leadership was supposed Wright. to
2: be, right? That was what right looked like. Yeah, yeah. You learn it as you go. Yeah. And uh, Surprised I didn't get murdered in the 90s. <laughs> Yeah,
1: the, um, yeah the, the army must have been weird back. I came in in 96 and, you know, a couple of years of Clinton where, where they drew it. And then, you know, I was in the infantry too. For yeah. I was in 86 in the infantry when
2: I went to SF. So, well, um, here's my old man's story. My first duty station was West Germany. Not Germany. Wow. It was two countries. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm that's awesome. yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I don't know if you can- you 1987.
1: Can... Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. in Lebanon. Boom. Right back at you, yeah, crooked. It
2: wasn't a real army, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, touche. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, What else? Uh, That's it, right? We have leadership seminar, and then we have a ton of training. And I got to go to Utah next week and run along on course, but uh, they got to stop bringing me out there. I got enough stuff to do here, but um, I'm trying to find a grand opening date yeah. here you do he's done at the end of October. And uh, Amber's coming in to do family preparedness two days. If you don't nice. know Amber, uh, you need to follow her on Instagram. She lives this lifestyle. Like, she's a registered nurse. She's very good at what she does. She's going to do two days with me and you. And she's going to do women's self-defense, uh, where we're going to utilize some munitions and do scenario type stuff. And then she's going to do another day of, of family medicine. Everything from cuts and bruises up to choking and trauma right with kids so anybody who has kids it's, it's designed for parents to to know what to do in in a in a kind of less threatening environment like and then up all the way up to like really really bad stuff so uh yeah looking forward to the webinar the thing about the webinar is it's kind of cool because you reach a broad audience yeah it's very inexpensive and they get to ask questions right so if you're if you're uh you know tuning in then you can just, you know, send a question over to Sean and go, Hey, I'm a I'm I'm a leader in this group and I have five people, I'm having problems with this. What do you think? You know what I mean? So I, I kinda like that format. Yeah, I think
2: it's great yeah. for people to be able to reach in and you know, yeah. different experiences are you know, are always good. Yeah. You know, that you know, I would never go into a room and tell a CEO how to, mm-hmm. you know, do global branding. Not, yeah. not my lane.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. but
2: yeah. uh yeah, so I think I think that's a good place where people can reach in and and uh yeah. get their opinion heard and ask, ask a good question mm-hmm. get a good answer for other people
1: yeah I, I think that'll be popular <laughs> so uh, hey thanks for tuning in until the next time stay alert stay alive